Our sponsors, Bison Beer, are back in the game after opening their beach bar down at Sea Lanes. Located between the Palace Pier and Marina, it's the perfect place for a socially distanced pint of beer beside the seaside. Join them for some laid-back celebrations in a deck chair. Now Brighton can pretty much relax in the Premier League. And let them know you're fans of football, the Albion and me for 10% off your drinks. This is Football, the Albion and me with Richard Newman. Hello, welcome to Football, the Albion and me. I'm Richard Newman. This is episode 13 of the podcast, which catches up with Brighton and Hove Albion favourites, picks out moments throughout their career on the South Coast and beyond, and we find out who they'd pick in their five-a-side team from a cast of old teammates. This week, almost exactly 10 years after he signed for Brighton, my guest is former skipper Gordon Greer, regarded by many as one of the best to have captained the club. This interview was recorded in May 2020 and Gordon talked about how Albion gave him his best football memories on and off the pitch, the pain of being so close to promotion on numerous occasions, how proud he was to play for Scotland and reveals a surprise second string to his bow. Enjoy. Follow Football the Albion and me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Gordon, welcome to Football the Albion and me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So look, we'll get stuck into the podcast in a second. Um, first of all, what, what have you been up to since the retiring from the game? I've got actually, I've got one car company, my own business, um, and that's been going for about 10 years now. So I just sort of put all my energies into that when I stopped playing um, for a few months. And then thankfully, um, I got uh, a job back working for the Albion. I'm in the scouting department now, so that's been going really well. And it keeps me busy and it keeps me involved in football. What's the car company? It's called Profile Cars. Um, I started it when I was at um, Brighton. I sort of fell into it, if I'm being t- perfectly honest. I got a car via Audi um, because I was a captain at um, the Albion. And it just sort of led from there. I was getting introduced to a few people. Um, and it became like I was getting my family and friends cars via Audi. And then it just sort of grew. And I could just see there was an opportunity. So I set it up about... It must be going on 10 years now, I've set it up, and I've probably been trading for about eight years. Okay, cool. Okay, let's get stuck into, into the podcast. So we'll start at the very beginning, like we do on every podcast. What was life like in your household growing up? Um, it was a bit chaotic. Um, I had three, uh, well, there was three boys and a girl. My sister was older than me, and I was the second oldest, and then I had two younger brothers. Um, so... Everybody obviously loved playing football, but it was a very competitive household. So when I was younger, my sister used to um, bully me um, until I got big enough to defend myself. And then um, I used to bully my two younger brothers. So um, that was about the top and bottom of it. Um, but obviously when you grow up, it was, uh, when I look back, I've got some, some brilliant uh, fond memories growing up in, that, in my house due to the fact that there was um, four of us in there and it was... Uh, it was, uh, it was a laugh at times. And what about football then? Was that a big thing in your family or sports in general? Yeah, it was massive. I mean, my dad played football, um, like amateur football, and he was a good player. And I used to go along every time my dad had a game. So if it was like a midweek game or a Saturday, myself and my, my sister and Tom, my brothers, we got a wee, wee bit older. We used to go along and watch them and, you know, play football at the side of the park. It's a bit strange now, but we used to like, interact with like the, the other players, and you know it was a bit strange. Like um, when I think of it now, like you're part of the 
you know, you're in the changing room, like your dad and like his friends and the partner that's going on there. So um, it was really good. Um, and I used to play football and I used to go to training and all that with them as well. So, um, no, my dad was like a massive part of me, like becoming so interested in football. And, you know, he was a competitive character as well. So I obviously got that from him. When did you start realising that you had sort of a talent for the game that you could take it somewhere? I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I didn't feel like that. Um, I knew that I was a good footballer, but I didn't really have that mindset. I just enjoyed playing football and I just enjoyed playing football with my friends. Um, we, had, we had a very good team. And when I was younger and, I, and out of my team, at even under 10s, um, I think um, four of us went on to play professionally. Uh, three of us got international caps. So, you know, we had a really good sort of boys club. And then when I think, you know, moving up through the youths, um, I just really enjoyed playing football and I enjoyed playing, spending time with my friends. So going back a little bit then, football was a, was, it was a big thing in your family then. You, obviously your dad was a big influence. Did you, who did you grow up supporting? So I supported Rangers mm-hmm. as a child. Obviously coming from Glasgow, you're either Rangers or Celtic. Back in the day, my hero was uh, Alan McCoist. Mm-hmm. So he was the, the main man back then. Um, for Rangers, you know, weirdly enough, as I as I became a footballer myself, I got to meet uh, Coiste and um, spend a, spend a bit of time in the Scotland setup with Coiste because he was a coach at one point. He was your sort of idol growing up. Then were you a defender all the time? No, no, I played um, when I was younger. I started well, you know, I was like a midfielder, striker um, as a kid, like a young kid, like ten. And then gradually I played midfield up until I was maybe like 13, 14. And then I get moved back to defence just because I was taller, I think, than uh, at that age than, than a few of my teammates. Or can you fill in at the back for us? And I, it just sort of went from there. Um, and then I only started to really get recognition um, as a footballer when I went back to defence. Um, so up until that point, I was a good, a good player and I you know, as a striker, I scored a lot of goals as a kid, but, you know, um, I never really get much recognition until I sort of moved back into defence. Did you enjoy the move back into defence? Because when you are younger, you do want it, and you're doing all right as a striker, you kind of want the glory, don't you? Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody plays for. Um, yeah. I, I'm very surprised when I see children that want to grow up as a defender. Um, just for, for my personal point of view, like everybody wants to score goals, make, score the winning goal set a goal up and take people on and sort of enjoy the attacking side. And, you know, when I, when I think as a football fan, that's what you like to look at yourself. You don't particularly go, more. he's a great defender. He blocked a shot and he headed at X amount of, of yards. It was more like, oh, he done this in the attacking third and he scored a great goal. What a pass for the goal. So I think as a kid, um, I just really wanted to enjoy playing football and, and as you said, like score as many goals as possible and be up the attacking end of the pitch, really. Mm. Can you remember the first match that you went to? Yes, vividly. Um, okay. it, was a, it was an evening game, um, and my dad took myself and my sister to watch Rangers. Um, I'm sure they played St Mirren um, at Ibrox. Um, and obviously it was dark and it was like really busy, crowded. Um, but as a young child, I think I was maybe, well, I say maybe about eight, and as I went in through the stadium, then you come up, you know, where you can see the pitch and the lights is on. Just took my breath away, to be honest with you. Like the size of the stadium, 
the green, you, you know, I, I can still see the green pitch. You know, it was so green at the time with the lights on in the night. And the atmosphere was amazing. But that initial, as soon as I walked onto the concourse to see the pitch was, um, I've remembered that ever since I've seen it. And it's never been the same since, to be honest. I've been to loads of football matches since and I don't get the same feeling now that, I, that obviously you know what you to expect. Yeah. Your move into senior football came with Clyde. Is that right? So yeah, how, did, how did that sort of present itself? Well, I was a, a bit of a strange, um, not, not a strange character, but when I was when I was leaving school at 15, um, I played with Motherwell, who were in the Scottish Premier League at the time. Yeah. Um, and it was probably about an hour's travel away from my house in Glasgow, um, due because I was young enough that I had to get trains and uh, buses, etc. Um, and... Because I was a Christmas leaver from school, they offered me like to go in and train until I could go in full-time in the summer, but I wasn't going to get paid. And I just felt like uh, I wasn't sure of myself at the time. You know, everybody, every footballer will probably tell you that, you know, it's, it's such a difficult sort of market to break into that I, I wasn't fully confident in myself at the time. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time going in there every day. I'm just going to do something else. So I became a apprentice electrician. Okay. Um, and I sort of left school at, at, at Christmas and I wanted to earn my own money. Um, I've always been that type of person that sort of wants to go out and get it. So I went wanted to earn my own money. So I became an apprentice electrician. I started playing um, football, which is like non-league football. You just call it, we call it junior football up here, which is men's football. Um, but my boss, who worked at the company, was the manager. Um, so he says, why don't you come along and play, play with us and I'll give you like a signing on fee and a few quid, I'll get you picked up, dropped off at the house and all that. So it was a sort of the next step for me um, as a young player to go and play against men. And that's when it became apparent to me that I found that side of it far easier than, you know, a 17, 18-year-old should be finding it. Um, so I went to Clyde as a part-time player because I wanted to finish my apprenticeship as well. And then when I completed my apprenticeship, um, thankfully, the people who were in charge of it at the time were very understanding. And it's a four-year course, but I managed to complete it in just over two and uh, I went in full-time, and I was in full-time with Clyde for about five months before I signed for Blackburn. When you went to Blackburn, what were your experiences like there? At the time when I was at Clyde, I was playing as a young player, and I had a lot of people that wanted to take me, but my, my thinking at the time was to, to try and go as high as possible. Um, and Blackburn, luckily, just to get promoted to the Premier League. And I really, I went down there for like a, a week to see what it was like and sort of train with the players and all that. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. Um, the manager was Graham Soonest at the time and he was a brilliant manager. And I just got a really good feel about the place. Um, so I signed there, um, I signed like a four-year contract there at, uh, when they were in the Premier League. But I never really played. I was, I was very... At the time when I first went in, I'd only been full-time for a few months. Um, and although I was confident in my ability, like when you go into that environment and you start playing with people that are you know, on the TV every week in the Premier League and top, top players, you know, it did shake my confidence a wee bit. Um, and I felt a wee bit out of my depth. But gradually over time, I just built up my confidence and I was playing really well in the, in the reserves. And then at that point, 
after maybe a year or two, I felt like I was um, ready for an opportunity um, in the first team. But at the time, we had some fantastic defenders and I just didn't feel that I was going to get the opportunity as a young player to progress there. Sure. So that's when you, that's when you went to Kilmarnock, is that right? Yeah, well, I went on loan initially to Stockport, yeah. who were in League One at the time. Um, and that was a great experience. Um, I had maybe about seven games at the end of the season there um, where I played really well. And off the back of those seven games, I had maybe 10, 15 offers from clubs wanting to sign me like, full time. So I decided at that point um, that I wanted to go back to Scotland and play in the SPL because obviously growing up in Scotland and um, being around the league, you know, I felt that was the the right thing for me to do was to go and play at that point. I felt like it was the highest level that I, I was offered, even though I was offered in League One, and um, which is now the Championship. You know, I just felt that like going back to Scotland and playing against Rangers and Celtic would have been a great experience for me. I also felt at the time that the Scotland national squad was in a bit of disarray and there was a lot of changes. The manager at the time was Betty Volks and there was a lot of negativity around that. I just felt like I had an opportunity maybe if I went back and played well, maybe that I could have snuck into the squad. The first couple of years I was at Kilmarnock, and in particular the first sort of six months, I had a great time and I was playing really well. And and then as a, as a club, we started to get rid of sort of the older players at the time and bring in a few younger players, and they were cutting their uh, cloth accordingly, like financially. But the manager and assistant manager at the time and the coach as well were were very good with me. When I say very good, they were very hard. Um, very, very hard, in fact. Um, but when I look back now, um, sorry, that's my dog just barking. When I look back now, um, it was actually a, a blessing because they were so hard. It was like a real tough environment for young players, um, and everybody felt the same. But you know, I, I look back with real fond memories of the club and of the manager and the coaches. The driving force behind me going back to England was that was that it, in Scotland at the time. Although the, the, when I first went there, there were some fantastic players in the league, um, like Henrik Larsson, Chris Sutton was playing, John Hartson. Um, you know, you're up against some top, top players. But gradually over the years, I felt that the league was struggling a wee bit financially to maintain the, the levels, especially in, out with the old firm, like, you know, the likes of Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeen, the, the calibre a player that they had was going down. Mm. So that was my decision that I felt like it was right to sort of try something else. Um, so that's when I, I, I tried to move back down south. And I had, at the time when I left Kilmarnock, it was difficult for a Scottish player, as it still is now, to move to England because of, you know, people's perception of the league. So I went to Doncaster, who, who were in League One at the time, and <clears throat> we had a really good team, actually. I played the first half of the season up till Christmas, and then I, I suffered a really bad injury with my hip, and I couldn't really continue playing like that. So I ended up, coming out and having a surgery on that, which kept me out of the team for maybe 14 months. How tough was that injury then? It was really difficult because it wasn't so it wasn't sore in everyday life. Um, it was more just when I'd done certain things on the pitch, I just couldn't function properly. Um, and then I had a reoccurrence of it after six months. When I say a reoccurrence, it was like a bleed in my hip. Um, and then they had to operate again. So that was me another six months. And then when I did get back to like a, a level of fitness, at the time we had been, we had been promoted with Doncaster um, and we're in the championship. 
we had a few centre backs, and I, at the time, I just wasn't enjoying. Um, I wasn't enjoying it there. Um, I didn't feel like it was the right place for me at that time. So I spoke to the manager, and I just said, like, if I'm not going to play, what immediately, then I'd like to go. Um, I would like to go on loan. So that's when the Swindon thing came up, and I had to get fit because I'd been out for so long. Um, I was out of contract in the summer as well, um, and I just felt like. I just had to go somewhere and, and play and just, and just enjoy playing football again. Um, you can get caught up. I think all players can get caught up in the moment and, oh, we're going for promotion or this and that. And you sort of lose touch of why you're actually playing football because you enjoy it and you love it. And I just felt like I just had to find that again because I wasn't enjoying it. Was it Danny Wilson that was in charge of Swindon at the time? Yeah, Danny Wilson was the manager. Um, and they were struggling. They had some good players, but they were really struggling. They were like near, I think they were actually bottom of the league. Um, or down near the bottom, maybe second bottom. But at the time when I went there, in February it was, I went there. Um, Simon Cox had scored up to February maybe like 25 goals. But they were still second bottom or bottom of the league, which I found crazy. They were losing games like 4-3 and 5-4 and... Um, the manager took me in there and he made me captain on loan, which I, at the time I, I was delighted, but the realisation walking into the dressing room as a loan player and being made captain was very strange. It went pretty well for you and you helped with the push for promotion. And then after that, you, you moved to Brighton. So when did you first hear about Brighton's interest in you? Um, one, of my, one of my friends who I played with, who, who was at Leeds, um, with Gus Poyet, um, phoned me and just asked me like, what, what my situation was. Um, but because of my experience for Swindon, and I was just enjoying it. I really liked the players there. I liked the manager. Um, and I was just in a good place. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to enjoy playing football again. And it wasn't so much about the stature of the club. It was more about um, getting back to playing football and enjoying it. And then when Brighton showed an interest, at the, at the time we were up, maybe third in the league, um, pushing for automatic promotion that season and Brighton were down near the bottom of the league. So uh, my initial thoughts were that I didn't really want to go there. I had a phone call with um, the manager at the time, who was Gus Poyet, and it was just about surrounding the style of play. And, and, I, and I just felt like um, after I'd spoken to him, I just wanted to, I wanted to run, run down to Brighton at the time. I just got a really good feel from him and the way that he wanted to play was something that I'd never experienced in my whole career up to that point. And now, now as an older player, I always speak to the young players and say that, you know, you don't realise how important the style of play is that you go to. Like you can go for money and you can go for like an amazing club, but if they don't play the way that suits you, then you're going to struggle and you're not going to show off your, your talents to the best of your ability. And the first time that I played in a football team that was geared towards my main attributes was when I came to Brighton at 29 years old. Right. Obviously, you say that playing for Gus and his style was something that was a big draw for you. Is he someone also that you'd watched a lot of when he was a player? Yeah, I mean, I used to watch the like, the, the Premiership football all the time. It, <clears throat> I mean, it was one of the biggest leagues in the world and it had some fantastic players. And, and Gus was a great player himself. But as a manager, you know, he was... Um, I know that you know, he had some problems when he left Brighton and all that, but as a manager, he was definitely one of the best managers that I've ever had. Um, he was a brilliant manager. Um, and, I'm, and I'm surprised now, looking back, that he's not done better 
as a manager based on what he'd done for us at Brighton. Yeah, we'll come to that in a minute. Um, but when you came into the club, you were made captain immediately. This is something that you were talking about just now with Swindon. What's it like to come into a squad full of players who are already at the club? You don't know them. Um, and immediately you, you're made their leader on the pitch. What's that like? I mean, it was different when I came to Brighton because I was a signed player. It didn't affect me as much as it did at Swindon because I wasn't even a signed player at Swindon and the manager made me the captain of the team. And it was just very strange because I was, you know, dealing with the manager on a daily basis and trying my best with the players to sort of galvanise them and get them going. But, you know, they were probably looking at me thinking, this guy's going back to Doncaster in the championship at the end of the season, you know, why or, or going somewhere else. So that was quite a difficult at the start to deal with that. But I soon got into it and, you know, I've got thick skin and it didn't it didn't it didn't bother me um what people thought of me. It was just the fact that, you know, I didn't really know the players and I was going in there barking orders and sort of trying to get them motivated. So that was very strange. But when I came to Brighton, I didn't know that I was going to be made captain because they did have some really good players at the time who who had uh, kept them up when I came in. Um, I trained maybe for a week and there was no announcement or anything. I didn't expect it. And then the manager pulled me in and just said, listen, I brought you here to be captain. I wanted you to get in with the players first before I announced it. But he announced it. And uh, the lads at the time, I, I'd only been in the door for maybe a week, but I had a really good relationship with most of them. The lads were just happy for me, I suppose, at the time. And um, we had a clear vision what we wanted to achieve that season. So it was more about, you know, let's get the players in that we need to get and let's push on and let's try and do something special this year. Yeah, what was the squad like in general at that point in terms of the characters in the dressing room? What I would uh, say about the club back then, it was a totally different club to what it is now. Mm. Um, and over my six years there, like, I've I seen it change. You know, every single year it changed. Um, but my first year there was um, it was brilliant. Um, the lads there were good, sort of hard-working lads who'd all of them sort of played lower league football. Um, a few good players that were in and around it as well, but mostly people who had played lower league football in England. Um, they had good attitudes, um, and it was a real it was a real funny dressing room. It had a real good feel about it. So you've also got the Amex on the horizon at this point. How much was that sold to you when you were when you joined the club? And then can you remember what your first impressions were when you were you rocked up at, at Widdeen? Yeah, well we'll see the I'd played at Withdean before, so that wasn't so I knew I knew what was expected of it. Mm. Um but the the stadium was something that was sort of spoken about before I'd signed and oh, we're getting a new stadium and we're gonna under the new manager, we're going to try and have a push for promotion and we're going to try and sign a few good players. And, and I don't think MD expected us to, to do as well as we did do that season based on the fact the season before we, the, the club struggled. The training ground at the time, we, we trained at the university. The pitches were actually really good. So coming from Swindon, where the pitches we trained on were average at best, um, and coming to a good training pitch, it was a step up for me anyway. I was feeling like, this is great. Like, I'm quite happy. And the stadium was going to get built. So it was, um, it was really exciting times for us and for, all, for everyone. Um, but um, I think for the supporters, like, I didn't really appreciate at the time 
how well supported the club was and how big the club was at that point. I just thought it was a small club because of me coming down, playing at the West Team, going away, maybe getting 8,000 fans or whatever there. Um, I didn't fully appreciate the size of the club and how big the club has become, you know, in the fan base it has. When did you start to realise that? Um, quite quickly, to be honest. Um, when I moved down to Brighton, um, as I said, we were in League One and, um, you know, we played at the Withdean and we were, we were selling out the stadium most weeks like for Brighton supporters. And people started to gradually tell me, like, you know, once this new stadium opens, that like, the fan base will double um, because people were starting to believe in the club and all that again. So it was it was really exciting times. So... And and I didn't again. I thought double the fan base. Like I can't see it because even I'd played there in my midweek, and there was like three thousand fans there. Right. You know it's so I didn't I didn't really appreciate it until I started getting told for the players that had been there for a long time and sort of ex players that had experienced sort of highs with the club as well. So slowly but surely, I started to realise what size a club could become with a new stadium and. Um, obviously investment for the for the current chairman yeah so then you made your debut and that was memorable <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just honestly because like, I got sent off in my last game for Swindon and that was a playoff semi-final so I missed I actually missed the final of the playoffs um, because I got sent off for Swindon and in pre-season I had been playing um, I'd been doing quite well and in the first game came that I managed to play I had an injury so I missed a wee bit of football with Brighton the first few weeks um, and then I got my first start and uh, I just sort of seen red mist the guy the guy had elbowed me um, and I just sort of lashed out and it was silly but I was so pumped for the game it was my first start and we were cruising as well it was really silly it was foolish um, but you know, I get sent off again and I was just like, sort of, this is unbelievable what a start this is. And the manager just put all his faith in me, make me captain. Um, and then I go and get sent off after being suspended at the start of the season because I got sent off in my last game for swimming. So um, I'd always had a lot of fiery temper and I didn't like, you know, certain things that happened on the pitch. So I would try and like, put them right if I could. But, you know, that was a real eye-opener for me that, you know, I needed to watch what I was doing. And, and I felt... I felt at the time that, um, you know, I'd let a lot of people down. What was the reaction from Gus Boyett then after that? He, he, as you can imagine, he wasn't too happy. Like, he'd been waiting for me to get in the team because I was suspended. Then I had a small injury and he was just waiting for me to play. And then when I did play, I got sent off. So he wasn't too happy about it, um, to say the least. Um, but he knew the type of character that I was. And he wasn't too, he wasn't too hard on me. Um, on that occasion, he sort of said to me, like, you know, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. And these things happen because he, he was a very fiery character himself. Um, but um, I, I'd let a lot of people down, the manager and my teammates. And, 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 and I didn't need them to tell me, but I wasn't, I wasn't best pleased about it myself, to be honest. Obviously, it got better. Promotion to the championship. Did you feel as a squad that you needed to be in the second tier going into the Amex? Yes, we did. Um, I mean, getting the new stadium was something that everybody was working towards. So the club, the club as a whole, the community, everybody was working towards this new stadium and the, um, building the sort of community spirit. Um, so the players, we done like every week, we would do something with the schools and we'd go to the schools and try and raise awareness that 
you know, we're getting a new stadium and we're a good side and come and watch us play and we're trying to raise this community spirit and get the young players watching Brighton again rather than Chelsea and Arsenal, etc. So that was really important for the club. So as a staff and a players, we were always doing things in the community. Um, but we knew that to really maximise our potential, we had to get promotion that year. So there was a big push on us to try and get promoted however, however way we could. Um, and I don't think anybody expected us to be as good as what we were. You got up to the, to the championship, had that incredible match at the Amex, the first match, which may come to a little bit later on. And you said generally that playing for Gus, it was extremely enjoyable. When it all ended for him after that Palace playoff defeat, what were your feelings and the feelings in the squad? Because obviously coming so close to promotion, had momentum, without knowing who was, who was coming in, how difficult was it to then to, to look ahead? It was very, very difficult for everyone, I think. As players, people think the players know a lot what's happening within the club, and they don't. Um, that's a, a real misconception. Um, but we'd heard rumblings that the manager wasn't really happy because of certain things. And, but we were doing so well, so we were thinking, like, surely he must be quite happy. because Had his manner changed with players? Uh, no, no, far from it. If anything, okay. he was, um, if anything, he was more about the players. Um, so it was very strange. We had, a, we had a great relationship with the manager. All the players did. Um, and that was one of the things that I really liked about him was that he's um, the way that he spoke to people. Like I was a captain for him, and and I had a really good relationship with him. But he spoke to me the same way he did somebody that he would he wouldn't even put in squad. So he had a real good relationship and a, a good manner with, with with the players. But we could just tell that something wasn't quite right um, with him and the club. But we didn't know what it was to do with and if it was finances or players. We weren't really sure. Um, but at one point, because that season, Ashley Barnes got sent off and he missed like seven games going into the end of the season. And um, Leonardo Ajoa was like flat out on his feet because he wasn't, he came in and just started playing games and he wasn't like fully fit. And um, I think reading between the lines, I think Gus wanted like a another striker to be brought in as cover and to help us out to just get over the line um, and I don't know if discussions had broke down or what but yeah we could we, we, the players knew that something wasn't quite right but we didn't expect him to come in after the, the Palace game and say listen lads that's me I'm finished I thought oh, he's going to have a couple of weeks off come back energise speak to the club we didn't realise how serious it was I mean, if that's how it happened after the, the Palace game, obviously you're all so disappointed yeah. anyway at that point. I mean, that's got to be a real low that that sort of era had come to an end. Yeah, I mean, you, you only really appreciate things when you look back. But I mean, I had six great years there. That, you know, I had different managers, different players, staff. But looking back at my time there, um, that year um, when Palace beat us in the semi-finals, um, at the playoffs, that was the year that um, I felt that we were in the best place to 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 go up and achieve what we wanted to achieve. Um, we had a real good group of players, and the manager was very good. The club was fully behind us, um, and we were playing some amazing football. Like the football we were playing that season was the best that I've ever been part of. The best. Um, it was amazing stuff that we were playing. We obviously had that a really good game away away from home in the first leg that we drew 0-0. Because we had comfortably beat them that season, 
we felt as a squad that we could beat them. And for whatever reason, we just struggled on the night to sort of turn our possession into goals. And then we lost the first goal for a poor goal. And then we pushed, pushed, pushed to try and get back in it. And we left ourselves open at the back and we lost a second. So we had an expectation amongst ourselves that we could, we were the best team in that league that season. We felt like we were the best team in that league. To come in, we, we went home after the game and everybody was obviously gutted because we just missed out on a great opportunity. But we came in the next day and that was on the, the next day that Gus had told us that he was leaving the club. This is Football, the Albion and me with Richard Newman. While we can't be at the Amex right now, we're all missing that match day experience. But you can bring part of that home for the rest of the season with the award-winning Piglet's Pantry, official pie supplier to Brighton and Hove Albion. You can order online for delivery across the UK and listeners to this podcast receive a 10% discount by placing your order quoting football, the Albion and me by sending a message on their social media channels or emailing info at pigletspantry.co.uk. Get the best home match experience possible with Piglet's Pantry. Follow Football, the Albion and me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You may end up jumping around a little bit, but you also played for Oscar Garcia, Sammy Huppier and Chris Hewton. Before we get onto those other playoff seasons, the, I guess the blip really sort of forgotten about a little bit was with Sammy Huppier. Um, what do you think went wrong there? I just think um, we lost uh, some very good players and we signed players that were nowhere near the level that we'd lost. That was my, that was my opinion. Right. Um, that was the player's opinion as well. You know, and it's not, it's not, I don't want to sound disrespectful to anyone because playing football is hard enough um, to play at a professional level and sort of have thick skin. You know, it's, it's not easy to, to always take criticism, but, uh, you know, we let Leonardo Ajoa walk out of the club and, and we signed Chris O'Grady. And there was no comparison in, in the, the abilities between the two of them. No comparison at all. And I just felt that at that stage, you know, we had changed managers for Gus, who had a couple of years with us, or three years, should I say. Then Osser came in for a year. And then Sammy came in off the back of that. So I think the squad as well, it, it changed quite a lot. Um with regards, after Gus had left, you know, a few players left the building on the end of that season because we never knew who the manager was going to be. We didn't know what the new manager wanted. We came back to pre-season without a manager. And we went on pre-season tour with, uh, I would say, 14 first-team players and 10 kids. And gradually, he was trying to bring players in. But at this stage, as you can imagine, I'm, I'm in the recruitment uh, department now. It's not easy to to pick up players um, at the best of times, but if you're, if you're not prepared and you've got a new manager and a new style of player or a, you, know, you don't know what he wants, then it's very difficult to recruit players. And I think we had to recruit some players and I think it was at that stage, it was like, right, what can we get at this stage? Um, and I think Oscar was, uh, he was very similar in the way that Gus had managed the team. He kept his, it was a slightly different approach, but, you know, we kept a similar sort of playing style. And then we obviously achieved the playoffs that year, but we were we probably weren't playoff material, if that mm. makes sense. I, I felt like we overachieved that year. And we get found out in the semi-final um, when we get thrashed off Derby. 
just going back very quickly to, to Sammy, do you think then he was just bad luck because of, yeah. you know, the transfers? And... I think um, people don't really appreciate how good a manager Sammy was. He was a very, very good manager and he had so much knowledge and he was very um, particular about how he wanted to play the game and his beliefs and how he wanted to play the game. I just felt that we didn't have the players to play in the system that, that to, to make it stand out because even that season we were struggling. We played some really good football, but we were very open and we got punished at every opportunity. And when we were poor, we were very poor. Um, and if you look at the squad, if you go back looking at the squad with a lot of young players, a few lone players, um, and we were probably a wee bit inexperienced at the time to sort of... Um, and I felt we were, we were lacking a few key players for the way that he wanted to play. Right. Um, so jumping forward um, again, obviously then in your, in your final season under Chris Hewton, um, you obviously had those two more disappointments in the playoffs. I mean, it must, it must be something that's really hard for you to take as well. So it's, it feels almost insensitive to ask, but I mean, how, how hard was it to get so close on all those different occasions? And I remember that Sheffield Wednesday one seemed to be, that was the one where you just wondered whether it was going to happen, I think, as a supporter, because yeah. it all just went, it all just went wrong in that first leg where everyone was, where the players were dropping like flies, weren't they? In that first leg and the substitutions early on. And the second game was like the Alamo in that first half, especially. And I'd never heard the Amex so loud, I don't think, in that game. You know, getting so close and so far on a few occasions, I felt like, right, this is the year that we need to do it. Um, and, I, and I felt in myself that if we did do it, that would be my final part to play um, for Brighton. Um, because I was 35 at the time and Dunkey was obviously playing really well. Connor had a fantastic uh, start to his Brighton career as well. So, and I felt like if we did get promoted, they would go and sign a, a proven Premiership defender for a centre-back. We were absolutely flying. Like, it just felt like this was our year. Going into that Middlesbrough game um, was like something I've never experienced. It was basically we win, we go up. Middlesbrough could win a draw and they go up um, and it was all or nothing on that game and and for me I was um, I forget who got Dunkey gets sent off actually um, against Derby near the end of the season and I was back playing um, so I went from not playing for maybe I would want to say maybe two or three months to playing one of the biggest games in the the in my Albion career, basically it was like we win, we go, we get promoted. It was a strange game actually. Like Middlesbrough, we played Middlesbrough obviously twice that season, and then we'd done quite well against them. But and they they sort of changed the way that they played. We didn't expect them. To, we didn't expect them to play the way that they did. They came out the box really quickly. Um, they put us under a lot of pressure. Um, Connor was obviously playing beside me. They got a goal after maybe. 30 minutes, which in all honesty, um, they, they probably deserved it. They were all over us for the majority of the first half. They were, they were all over us. They, were much, they started much better than us. Um, and then the second half, it was all us. And we were pushing, pushing. Then Dale scored the goal. Um, and then shortly after, got sent off. And it, it was kind of like at the time, the confidence we had after the goal was like, right, let's go and win it. Because we were, we were all over them at this point. And then um, when Dale got sent off, the manager changed. I came off, actually, with like 10 minutes to go, and he put a striker on just to try and go and win it. 
and unfortunately for us, we 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 drew the game, and and that's an experience that I'll never forget as a negative experience in my football career because we came off the pitch, all the fans rushed onto the pitch at the end of the game because we were up, we were playing up in Middlesbrough. We came off the pitch um, into the tunnel, into the dressing room, sorry, and like you know you could hear a pin drop, um, all you could hear outside. Uh, in the dressing room could hear a pin drop but all we could hear outside was all the celebrations going on and how ecstatic they were and it was um, it was a difficult night that night but you know we had the, the journey back and we sort of had to focus on the playoffs again um, which we, which meant um, Sheffield Wednesday that was it was a bit again going, uh, I, I referred back to the Crystal Palace playoff game because we were very confident as a as a group Granted, Sheffield Wednesday game, we were very confident. Uh, Donkey was still suspended, um, but me and Connor were playing. We started the game fairly well. Connor got injured, sprinting back. Bruno came into centre-back beside me. But it was a bit of a makeshift back four. And then Richie Tibble, who hadn't played at all really for us, was used as a midfielder because we... And then Anthony Norcott came off with ten. We went down to ten men because yeah. Anthony Norcott came off with no subs to make. So yeah. the last, the last sort of half an hour, we were down to ten men, and we defended. I mean, obviously as a defender, like we defended so well. Bruno came into centre back, done a really good job. We, we kept a real good high line because they had four up front at one point. They were trying to kill the game. Um, and we defended really well, but we just couldn't we couldn't do enough to sort of um, stop them from winning that that first leg. Yeah, and obviously the second leg was um, gave it everything. As you as you rightly said, like that's one of the games that would stand out as a performance for. I would say for for me, the first sixty five minutes was probably mm. one of the best performances at the Amex. Well, I say the most dominant performance that we could have had at the Amex for, for possession, the pressure we had. But gradually as the game went on, um, we struggled to break them down. They were very dogged in their defending. And then and the goal, I'll be honest with you, the goal against us that night was a bit of a, a mix-up. It, it, it killed us because we had, to, we had to score another two goals just to get the tie level. Mm. That ended up being your last game for the club. What's your best memory of your time there? Honestly, I, I, I've not got one memory, but I've got so many great memories from my time there. As I said in, um, earlier on, I had a few games that really stand out for me that, you know, the highs that I felt, you know, I was, I was never somebody that would um, get too high or too low. If we lost a game, I would never get myself too down. But if we won a game, I'd never feel like, great, we've won a game. The, the end goal for me was always... We wanted to get promotion to the Premier League. So if we won the semi-final of the playoffs, of course I'd be delighted, but I wouldn't be going mental because ultimately I've still got to win the final before I, I can really celebrate because that's the goal. Um, so I was always that type of person, um, rightly or wrongly. Um, I look back now and, and think I should have enjoyed my, my good times more because I didn't, because I was so focused on what I had to do and what I, I felt the club wanted to achieve. The, the game when we played Forest to get to the playoff um, semi-final when Leo scored late on, the feeling the feeling in that game was was unbelievable. It was so um, it was such a high, it was such a rush for us because 
we thought we were safe. We thought that we, we thought we were in the playoffs. The manager started to make changes, maybe like 15 minutes to go. And my ex-teammate at the time, uh, Simon Cox, was playing for, for Forrest. And when he came on, I spoke to him and I said, like, are we in the playoffs? And he says, no, I think he's a, I think he's a fine because Redden, I think, had struggled. Or, and then Redden scored, of course, then the manager started to make changes. And we knew by the changes that we weren't safe, so we had to push for a goal. Mm-hmm. And it all came out from nowhere. It was a really... It was a really nothing game up until maybe the last 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then when Leo scored that goal, the the feeling was unbelievable, like because we knew we had to win. Um, so that feeling was one that I'll never forget. But then with the Palace game at home, where not really known enough about Brighton when I signed it, I didn't realise the rivalry between Crystal Palace and Brighton so strong. We'd lost a few derbies against um, Palace and really strange circumstances. Like one game, Donkey gets sent off. Caldy played centre-back. Uh, Liam Bridcut was right-back. Um, and we were down to 10 men after like a few minutes and we got we got battered, in all honesty. And then the game that we beat them 3-0 was like sort of a real high as well because of the, the feelings. It was more about the fans, really, and how they felt. We were fully aware of how they felt about Palace and that that game was like um, it was amazing. Like David Lopez scored that free kick, um, and we just we battered them. Um, if we start to finish, we absolutely battered them, and they couldn't live with us. And um, it was a real high for us. Just quickly, the defences you played with at Brighton always like top class. I mean, you're playing alongside people like Bruno, Matt Upson, Wayne Bridge. Just want to quickly touch on on Lewis Dunk. I mean. Obviously, he's often linked with a, a move away to one of the sort of Premier League's top six. Um, do you think he's been unlucky, maybe with England call-ups? Definitely. I mean, Donkey's a fantastic. He's always been a very good player, um, but he's grown over the last few years, and and he's probably more suited to playing at a high level and um, the way that he plays. And you know, I I I feel that. Um, we all due respect to Brighton if Donkey was if he was playing at a a, a so called higher um, ranked club. I feel those opportunities would be um, would be greater for playing for England, um, which, which isn't always right. But unfortunately, it's um, it's a view that's taken in a number of occasions, and um, where you look at people and they're doing really well. You know, maybe the team not doing so well last season held them back a wee bit because. It, Right, we're just hovering above the relegation zone. Um, maybe that was a factor as well that maybe he wasn't on a team that was winning games. And he's more than capable to to go and play um, for England. That's for sure. And and just leading on from that, I just want to talk about very quickly about Scotland. And because it was during your time at Albion that you made your full debut. Can you still remember that feeling when you got your your first cap? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, out of my whole career playing football, like I always felt that that I would have done well no matter what I had done. Um, you know, whether it was like the lower leagues or even if I played in the top league with Brighton in the Premier League, I think I'd have done well um, just based on the, the skill set that I had. But unfortunately, I never managed to do that. But the pinnacle for me was um, playing for Scotland and the international games. Um, I didn't think, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think it would ever it would ever happen because 
I was doing really well um, and a really good team, I must say. And it was because of the team that uh, that I got the opportunity to play for Scotland. But Scotland were never known as a team that passed the ball. And under previous managers with Scotland, they didn't pass the ball. Um, and I wouldn't have played under those managers because my skill set was to try and get on the ball and, and, and play and pass and, and help the team that way. Whereas we all we done was defend as a as a country. So for me, there was better people suited to do that. Um, but when Gordon Strachan um, got the manager's job, there was definitely a shift in the way that he wanted to play. Um, and fortunately for me, I got an opportunity um, to go and, and sort of be part of the squad. Um, and I knew when I was part of the squad, it was up to me to sort of do well in training and show what I can do and hopefully that was enough to be part of the next squad. That's as far as it went. Um, at the time, I just hoped that I could keep getting the squad and hopefully one day I would get a cap. It started off really strangely because I got I got in a couple of squads and I, I was injured. Um, at the start, I had I had went for a, a clean-up on my knee um, when I was at Brighton and at the end of the season and we had a game um, with Scotland in June. And uh, I was part of that squad, um, but I couldn't play because my knee had still got swelling in it. So I went and I met the manager and all that. I had to come away after a day. Um, and then I was hoping that the next squad I would be part of it. Um, and I was, but it took me maybe a good few squads before I had actually had the chance to play. But for me, I, I'm, I'm obviously a proud Scotsman and my family were. Um, who who all mean the world to me. That was like the biggest day for them as well, and I was just and I was just proud that I could um, make them proud. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, quickly on Scotland now, building a really talented squad: Scott McTominay, Andrew Robertson, John McGinn, Billy Gilmore's coming through. Obviously, need to get Kieran Tierney back over his injuries. Do you think what's missing there maybe is a, a top class goal scorer, but. Do you think you're sort of on the Scotland are kind of on the way to you know finally ending this qualifying for major tournament hoodoo? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I mean, when you look back through the the last 10, 15 years, Scotland, they've always had the a few players that have stood out and they've been playing in the English Premier League, or maybe playing abroad, and that have been like the so-called top players. But I think the important thing for Scotland is that they, they've got a good manager in place now under Steve Clark um, they've got some good young talent with Scott McTominay and, and Billy Gimler as you said John McGinn's fantastic talent as well um, but there's a few key areas where they're struggling um, and hopefully we can get a few younger ones to develop um, and push through in certain areas that will, that will help the rest of the players um, it's, not, it's not an easy job it's not an easy job at all I mean even for my time there like I loved um, playing for the country and um, we had a real good team spirit. But Ada, the manager at the time, Gordon Strang, did a real set we are playing um, and we were so unlucky not to qualify. Um, I think it was one poor result um, away to Georgia that cost us our place. You know, the disappointment was massive, but I think for these players, it's like, you know, the groups that we're getting are becoming harder and harder over the years because of the rankings and they really need to pull something out of the bag soon so that we can 
hopefully qualify for a major tournament. I mean, the the Euros now is becoming easier to qualify the amount of teams that are mm. uh, getting through. So hopefully, um, we can we can do that if not next year, maybe the, year the years to come. On each podcast, we play a game with uh, each guest calls jumpers for goalposts. In this situation, you're the captain of a five-a-side team. Um, sort of picture yourself in a nice sunny park and of all the players that you played with throughout your career they don't necessarily have to be from Albion who would yeah. be your first pick in that team? Um, well I think I, I think um, I'm only just stick with the, the Albion theme because um, it's an Albion podcast of course so um, there was a few players that um, I played with um, throughout my career that are by far the best players that I've played with um, the likes of two guy at Blackburn and Andy Cole and Dwight York at the time at Blackburn mm. were fantastic players David Dunn who who never had the career that everybody expected who was a brilliant player um, Damien Duff of course um, and even going on to Scotland with Andy Robertson, Dan Fletcher um, players like that who were brilliant players but I think as Going back to what I spoke about earlier, my, my most memorable um, time at Albion was the year that we sort of get beat from Palace. I felt like that was the, the most enjoyable year, the best, the best football that I'd been part of in my whole career. That was by far the best football that I'd been part of in my whole career, by far. My first pick would have to be Liam Bridcut. Liam was, uh, he was brilliant for the defenders. He was so underrated, in my opinion. And again, he's another player that that's went on to not have the career that I expected him to have. With um, the Albion, he was, for me, he was one of the best players to play with that I've ever played with in my whole career. Mm-hmm. When you needed somebody to help you out, he was there. When you needed somebody to pass the ball to, he was there. When you gave him the ball, he kept it. Um, he played simple um, and he was effective and he was such a good player and somebody that, for, for me anyway, that I held in real high regard. When he left the club, it was a hole that we just couldn't fill. He'd done a job that nobody else done for us um, and we tried to replace it and we changed the formation and all that, but he'd done something that, that not, many people, not many people do now and, and he did it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, another player plays for Scotland, of course, uh, for a bit. Who would be your next pick? From that season, um, there was a, a lot of real good players, um, but one of the players who was a great character and um, I still keep in touch with now was Gary Dicker. Mm-hmm. You um, played with that Kilmarnock near the end of your career. Yeah, yeah I, played with, I played with Dixie Kilmarnock as well, but Dixie was the, the, the life and soul of the dressing room. He was a great character and he was a really good footballer. Again, when, when he left the club, he left a massive, massive hole because he's, he's nature and um, he was always full of fun, and um, he was great to. Be, he was just great to be around. And as I said at the start, you know, playing football is about trying to enjoy it. And the squad of players we had around that time was um, it was a great squad of boys. And and Dixie was probably the, the one of the main parts to the way that we sort of socialised as a group and the laughs that we had and um, some of the things that we got to. And it was uh, he was a great character. Are you playing a rush goalie in this team? Uh, I'm I'm covering at the back as well. Okay, uh, fine, cool. Okay, so who who are your final two picks? So I'm still in touch with quite a few of the lads that um, that I played with at, at Brighton, and um, the last two picks were actually quite difficult because I had so many good players there. Like 
like, like as you mentioned earlier, like some of the defenders that I played with alongside, like the likes of um, Calde, Bruno, um, Matty Upson, who was an absolute Rolls Royce player, um, Wayne Bridge, um, all these players spring to mind that they could easily play in anybody's team. But, um, you know, I'm trying to build a team that for a five sides that we can win. So yeah. I just like winning. Um, so the my fourth choice would be Andrea Alandi. I felt like Andrea was uh, such a good footballer, like really intelligent footballer and he had so many good attributes with the ball and in training some days he was fantastic. He's a great guy. Um, it was a, it was a toss-up between um, Andrea and Vicente for that position because mm. Vicente was an absolute amazing footballer um, and he was a great, great guy. But I've, I've opted for Andrea because um, we still keep in touch and Again, I, I thought he was brilliant that year. Who's scoring the goals? The main man up front is Ashley Barnes. Okay, yeah. Uh, Barnes is somebody that um, I had an instant connection with when I, when I first went to Brighton because we signed at the same time. We stayed in the hotel together. You know, he's somebody that I've always kept in touch with. Um, and even to this day now, my family and his family are very close. Barnes, he would always be in my five-a-side team. But most importantly... Um, He's an animal of a guy, um, and he's a goal scorer. What he done throughout his career has been a credit to himself. So, so Barnsley would definitely make it. He's um, I felt at Brighton at times he, he was a wee bit unfortunate, um, just with the way the situation was with the with the players that were playing playing ahead of him or the way the style of player whatever. But since he's left the club, he have a fantastic career and he's he's doing really well to this day. Yeah. Okay, that's a good team. So it's Greer, Bridcut, Dicker, Orlandi, and Barnes. That should yep. do well. Yeah, that should do well. Okay. Um. So uh, next thing, you're taking over match of the day for one episode only. They've told you you can run extended highlights of one match from your time with the Albion. Which one is it, and why? Is it that Forest game, or is it something different? Uh, I don't think it would be the Forest. I mean, the, the feeling I felt at the end of the Forest game was something that it was probably one of the Apart from the international games that I played in that we won, it was probably the biggest high that I had um, from scoring the late goal, the, the way that it went about. It was probably one of the biggest highs because when we won the league um, or we got to the playoffs, we, we were expected to do it. It was always on the cards. It was, it was a great achievement, but the Forest game was, was in the balance. We didn't know if we were going to get there or not, and then that late goal was, was, was an amazing feeling. But... I think the game that I would run could possibly be the, the Palace game at home or even maybe the Blackpool game at home where we won 6-1 six, six, or the 3-0. Um, the Doncaster game, again, the first game at the Amex was a great game because of the, the drama at the end with Bucks scoring the, the late goal. But I think as a performance, the way that the team played on the day, maybe the Blackpool game because it was such a, an amazing performance for the players that day. Okay, cool. Um, if you could influence one thing about the game today and something that annoys you, what would it be? Um, something that really annoys me is uh, the way that people portray themselves in, uh, on social media. So, mm -hmm. so that's something that I'll definitely change. I think now, not all footballers, I must say, but a lot of footballers now have got an attitude that they're bigger and better than a lot of people because they're good footballers. And I just feel that <clears throat> they're not. Um, they're normal human beings that just happen to be very good at football or very... They've got very good attributes and, and it's led to them being involved in football, which is a, an amazing career to have. And I just feel that social media 
has made footballers, in my opinion, the way that they're portrayed is so much better than what they actually are. Should I say that the, the feeling between the fans and the, the players is so far removed now? Um, that's how I feel. I feel it's like they're untouchable, um, some of them at times, and I just don't like that. Mm. That's a good answer. Um, and I think a lot of fans may feel the same way from the other point of view as well, but also very much appreciate their players as well that really do engage. Um, now, uh, a one-minute shootout, quick-fire questions, not all about football, so I'll fire them at you. You just give me the first answer. So first one would be with Dean or Amex. Oh, Amex all day. <laughs> Tea or coffee? Tea. Are you a board game cheat or do you always play by the rules? Uh, I'd be a cheat. <laughs> In the same season, would you win the FA Cup or avoid top flight relegation? Uh, avoid top flight relegation. Okay. Book or film? Film. Seaside or the South Downs? Seaside. VAR or no VAR? Uh, no VAR. Um, Wembley or Hamden? It's got to be Hamden, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, travel the world or lays on the most idyllic beach in the world? Oof. I think um, I, would, I chose lay on the beach about five years ago, but now I'd, I'd like to, to travel the world. Cool. Um, tell us something about you, which a lot of people may not know. Well, I touched on it earlier that I, that I was an electrician. I'm actually, I've actually... <laughs> I'm a qualified electrician. I don't know if I'm qualified now right enough because so I've never done it, but when I left school at 16, I, I'd done my apprenticeship, so okay. I'm a qualified electrician. But pretty handy around the house. Any other teammates ever asked you to uh, fix anything around there? <laughs> um, I think they were all too scared to ask me, to be honest, because <laughs> um, I know what the answer would get. <laughs> uh, leaving aside sport, what do you do to relax? I like just spending time with my family um, and sort of chilling and watching movies or whatever, but I think sports relaxing as well. Okay, and um, finally, a couple on the Albion um, at this current moment. So, look, I mean, looking long-term, and not necessarily talking about this season, but long-term, what can Albion realistically hope to be in terms of the statue of the club and at the Amex? Well, as a club, um, you know, they want to be a top 10 Premiership club. Um, that's the sort of ambition um, for the club. I mean, the, the facilities they've got and the infrastructure they've got now um, is, is second to none. Um, I think that moving forward, um, I think to build on the position that we're, we're in obviously at the moment and, and get up the league would be fantastic. But more and more so players go to football clubs for reasons that could be helping their family settle or a nice place to live or you know, it's financial as well. And I think Brighton offers so much to so many players that, um, you know, if they, if they attract the right players to the club and obviously they've got the manager in place and we can, we can sort of sustain a, a good level this year and kick on, then there's not to say that we won't be a top 10 club in the next few years. And hopefully you can scout someone pretty spectacular to come down and uh, really seal the deal. Oh, hope so. <laughs> and lastly, do you have a message for the Albion fans? Basically, just thank you for uh, making me and my family feel so welcome for the whole six years I was there. Obviously, there was many, many ups and downs along the way, but um, it's a, a place where I look back with the most fond memories of my whole football career, um, both on and off the field. And it's a fantastic club and 
just thank you for, for making it so special. Gordon, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Great to hear about your stories and uh, yeah, find out you're an electrician. And uh, if anyone ever needs their wiring sorted, then they know who to call. They can give me a call because I know a lot of electricians, so I'll put them in touch with one. Thanks so much to Gordon for his time, one of Albion's greatest captains. That's it for this week's podcast, but as always, please do share, retweet, review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.